Hey everyone, you might have noticed that we've been a little sparse with episodes lately. That is because, in part, Sean and I are just really busy with other things, and also in part, we are still working at getting episodes ready for season three, which we're really excited for. Should be in July if no further setbacks occur. But in the meantime, one of the things that we were very busy with was that Sean, as I'm sure you've uh, heard by now, is the president of a Bible college. It's the same one that he and I attended about a decade ago. And that college had a grad weekend with a bunch of alumni stuff. And so I was going to this weekend, happy to see Sean. And about a week out, Sean said, hey, we've got some workshops during the afternoon of grad weekend. Would you want to teach one? And I said, Sean, whatsoever would I speak about? And he said, I think you know, Jordan. So I quickly threw together a bunch of notes on, guess what? Lewis and prayer. And some of the things I've been thinking about since we've covered those three prayer episodes, if you somehow missed those, I'll put a link in the description so you can go back afterwards. So a good deal of the content comes from those three essays, but of course I tried to link it all to Narnia because first of all, I think it does find its way into Narnia. And also who doesn't want to talk about Narnia? Also, it's way more interesting when you put Narnia in the title of a talk, gets way more people than come check out these essays. Anyway, I ended up recording that little talk and thought, while we don't have any other content coming up for a couple weeks, might as well throw it up on the podcast. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us in season two, where Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. Hi, welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, My name is Jordan Duncan, and um, I graduated here in 2011. And since then, I've made my way around southern Alberta, mostly Lethbridge, the last 10 years. And... um, I also did a brief stint in Pittsburgh to do a to go to seminary, and I did an MDiv there. Uh, but since then, have just been um, back in Lethbridge and hanging out. And uh, one of the fun things about my last couple of years has been I started um, reading at the very end of my seminary time. Uh, a professor gave us assigned us some Lewis essays, C.S. Lewis essays, and I. You know, I was familiar with Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape and Mere Christianity, and I think I dove into a couple of his other books, but couldn't really remember. And this professor assigned us these essays, and I read them, and I like school, and I like studying, but at the end of a second theology degree, I was kind of done reading theology. And um, yeah, so I read these essays, and it was like a, a breath of fresh wind reading Lewis. Um, it didn't feel like I was reading theology, even though uh, some of them were complex and deep, and I really had to take a lot of notes. But there was something about Lewis that just felt different. And I was, um, I, I think about it now, and it was the Holy Spirit drawing something in me. And he, I, uh, I, I just felt like I needed to read more Lewis. And so I can get a little bit... Um, I call it obsessive, 
I like to call it a, com I'm a completist. So <laughs> I, I thought to myself, I need to read everything C.S. Lewis wrote. And I thought it surely can't be that much more than what I've already written or read of his. And it turns out he wrote over 40 books and over 200 essays. And I just slowly started buying whatever I didn't have and reading. And um, in the last two years, I've read almost everything he wrote twice. There's a few books that are more about literary scholarship that I haven't quite cracked yet. But um, I do want to get there and complete those as well. But as I was reading Lewis's essays, um, there was something about them that I just thought, there's, there's good stuff in here, but nobody reads essays. And how, can, how could I um, help uh, promote what Lewis is saying in these essays? And, and by, again, I think a Holy Spirit thing, Sean um, Stevenson Douglas, the president here now, just texted me one day and said, Jordan, what would be your, your top five recommended books to read to anyone? And I said, can they all be by Lewis? <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said, uh, well, it's funny you should ask, because the reason I'm asking is I read this essay by Lewis recently where he said to reread books, and that got me thinking about this. And, and I said, you're reading Lewis's essays? And he goes, yeah, I just bought this book full of Lewis essays. And I thought, Sean, we've got to do something about this. So, so Sean and I started a podcast uh, about a year ago where we're just going through each of Lewis's essays one by one um, and trying to reflect on them and, and think about what they, how they can challenge us and our spiritual lives and encourage us uh, as well. And we're having a lot of fun doing that. But Sean wanted to try and do a live podcast today, but then he had uh, other um, probably more important things that he needed to talk about in this space. So uh, he said, do you want to just... Uh, he canceled his thought, didn't even tell me about it. And then last weekend, he said, do you want to teach on some Lewis things on next Saturday? And I thought, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I didn't have any free nights this week to really prepare. So I have thrown a lot down, and we'll see what comes out. Um, but what, is, what has been really exciting me, and this is what we're going to talk about, is um, Lewis wrote a couple. He wrote a book on prayer called Letters to Malcolm. And he wrote um, three essays on prayer, and Sean and I have covered those in the fall. And there's been something about what Lewis talks about when it comes to prayer that I have found very helpful. And so I wanted to share those things with you and share about how those things, where we find those things in Narnia, because Narnia is just, awesome. so, it's awesome, and it's so fun. And um, that's one of the best things about Lewis, is he finds a way to teach you things through story and it makes it more memorable and so the essays are great if you want to dive into um, you know kind of some reflection straight about prayer um, but Narnia is a great way to help remember these things so um, yeah I guess um, my point of why I'm doing these prayer things is just that uh, Lewis for me has been um, very encouraging to help my prayer life uh, in the last season, which actually has been really difficult, um, not just personally, but specifically with my prayer life. I've had um, a lot of really great experiences of prayer and a lot of great um, deep seasons where the Lord taught me different forms of prayer, um, 
a lot of like harp and bowl stuff from IHOP and um, I've been to Bethel for conferences and I've uh, here I've had some amazing seasons of prayer and, and doing stuff with Andy and um, it just felt like I've had times of mountaintop experiences of prayer but the last couple of years have been really just dry and difficult and so I don't know if that's going to be everybody in here, but if it's not you and you're going, actually, my prayer life is really wonderful right now, um, maybe some of these things will help you when you encounter other people who need encouragement just to pray and just to even pray simple prayers. And so what Lewis mostly talks about when he writes about prayer, all his books and essays, they're just about um, what it means to ask God for things, petitionary prayer. And it's just the simplest form of prayer that we all do. And Lewis says that this is the, it, it, um, no matter where you go in your prayer life, asking God for things and petitionary prayer is the, um, the cornerstone of prayer. It's like a school of prayer that teaches you how to pray in all these other ways, but it's a school that you never really graduate from. And so uh, for me, it's, it's been a time where I've had to come back to almost just praying the Lord's Prayer every day and um, trying to even convince myself that that is worth doing because uh, it seems too simple sometimes. And we have lots of doubts about prayer. We can, we can get uh, a lot of disappointments stored up about our prayer. Um, and Lewis just kind of, he, he also faced those doubts and disappointments about prayer. He was a man who, um, his mom died of cancer when he was nine. He lost his best friend in World War I um, and also was wounded in World War I and then he went to Oxford but didn't get the job that he studied for so he took a different degree and then got a job but never got the promotion that he deserved and, and so he faced like that for decades and then he was single till he was 58. And even then when he did get married, his wife had cancer. And they, um, a, a priest with a gift of healing prayed for her one time and within a week she was miraculously healed and had this period of recovery for, I can't remember if it was one or two years, um, but it seemed like she was just healed, like miraculously. And then the cancer returned and within four years of their marriage she had passed away as well. And so he knows, he knows the struggle of why doesn't God seem to hear me? Why doesn't he, he answer my prayers? Especially when the Bible gives us so many good promises about prayer. Um, so Lewis faces you know, things like disappointment with prayer, having your prayers refused, doubts and questions and confusions um, about prayer. And so because he does that, um, it, it just has been really encouraging for me in the last little while when I struggled to pray. One of my favorite things he says about it is that prayer is irksome and you just have to do it. <laughs> and the fact, he even says one time, these are all things that I haven't even, I'm not even started the notes yet, so we're probably not going to get through them. But he, um, yeah, this is for free. Um, he, yeah, he just said, I think maybe the, the kind of faith that God most is looking for in your prayer is perhaps your faith is strongest when you don't want to pray the most, but still do. Perhaps that is a picture of faithfulness, that you would still pray. 
and um, that's encouraging to me, especially lately. I've, I was in ministry um, and, and doing seminary for a long time and stuff, and my whole life was surrounded by prayer. And the last two years, I've just been working construction. And um, it feels like, oh, I don't know when to pray anymore, because I've got no time, and when, or when I get home, I don't feel like it. And, and so, yeah, all those reasons, Lewis has been um, very encouraging for me regarding prayer. And um, so these are maybe just some simple things that we can learn from him. Uh, and we'll see if we get through a couple of them now that I've done a very long intro. But um, the first thing is super simple. It's just that prayer is actually a gift. And that has been encouraging to me to try and remember to view prayer not just as a duty, but as a gift. Um, so in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how many of you, has anyone not read some of the Chronicles of Narnia or seen a movie? Okay, so we're all familiar with, don't have to explain it. On the podcast one time, I started talking about this and explaining who Aslan is, and then I'm like, I'm sure if anyone's listening to a C.S. Lewis podcast, they know who Aslan is, so I don't need to explain it, but you never know. I heard he's safe. <laughs> he's yeah. not safe, <laughs> but he is a tame, yeah, no, he's not a tame lion. That he is good? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this picture where Father Christmas comes and gives uh, all the kids gifts. And the gift he gives to Susan is uh, a horn. And Father Christmas says that when you put this horn to your lips and blow it, then wherever you are, I think help of some kind will come to you. And I think this is one of the pictures of prayer that Lewis is giving to us, just that prayer... Uh, it's like a horn that we call out to God with uh, whenever we need some kind of help. And we, we use it with the hope that some kind of help will come. But mostly, I just like that it's a picture of, it's, prayer is a gift that God gives to us, that we can call out to him. Um, and when I remember that, things um, automatically, I don't feel like prayer feels irksome because it's like something that I have to do, but it's something I get to do because it's a gift. Um, and then in Prince Caspian, there's, uh, you'll remember that the kids have left back to, out of Narnia and gone back to England and Prince Caspian is in trouble and he's got his dwarf friend with him, Trumpkin. And he also has Queen Susan's horn. Uh, which has now become this legendary thing that they've heard, if you blow it, some kind of help will come. And Prince Caspian suggests they do this, but Trumpkin kind of, I think Trumpkin gives voice to some of the doubts that we have about prayer. And he, he just says, well, there's no good raising hopes of magical help, which, as I think, are sure to be disappointed. And I think in that line, that's how Lewis felt about prayer sometimes. That's how I have often felt about prayer, especially lately. Um, just that it's no good. I don't even want to go to prayer because by going to prayer, it's going to get my hopes up and hopes which might be disappointed. Um, and then it, but it also kind of speaks to some of these logical reasons we might be thinking and having doubts about prayer that sometimes based on the teaching, the various teachings we've had about prayer, sometimes it seems like prayer is just this magical thing. And because it can feel magical, sometimes we start doubting whether it's real, whether it really works. 
Um, and so in one of Lewis's essays, uh, he, he kind of addresses this question about, like, does, is it really magic? Um, or is it like magic? And he, he addresses the question of how does prayer work? Because if you've ever sat down and thought about it, or if uh, the devil or screw tape perhaps has whispered in your ear these, these logical things that seem to be against prayer actually working, then you might have had these questions. But Lewis kind of puts it like this. He says, um, he says, the thing you ask for when you're praying is either good for you and for the world in general, or else it's not good. And if it is good, uh, then a good and wise God would do it anyway. Right? Like, if God, if God is good and wise, um, he actually writes in a different essay, he says, infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. So why would you pray if God would just... It's kind of a, a determinism. If God's going to do it anyway, whether, you know, if the thing you're asking for is good, he's going to do it anyway because he's good. Uh, and then if it's not, then God won't do it. But in neither case can, you, can your prayer make any difference. And it's basically just that question of why would we bother praying if, if God's all-knowing and all-powerful and all-good, won't he just uh, do it anyway? But Lewis then writes in... Um, in a different essay, uh, he writes that God made his own plan or plot of history such that it admits a certain amount of free play and can be modified in response to our prayers, which is just a, um, I just find that encouraging to think about. And, uh, there, you know, there you could get around a, or you could get into a very theological argument about how much free play there is in God's will and that kind of thing, but for what it's worth, here's what Lewis thought, and I find it very encouraging, is that God has made his own plan and the plot of history such that he's, he's allowed it a certain amount of free play, and he can modify things in response to our prayers. And um, Lewis actually uses a quote from um, the philosopher, scientist, Pascal, when he, he writes that God, this is Pascal, Lewis is quoting Pascal, that God instituted prayer in order to allow his creatures the dignity of causality. That we would be able to cause things is like this dignifying, um, honoring gift that, that God would trust us enough to be able to cause things. And in this essay, Lewis talks about, actually, he gives us that ability both in our in our ability to act and do things in the world, but also through prayer. Both work and prayer are God's gift to us, that he would honor us with the dignity of causality. And then Lewis writes this, um, this quote, which I really just like. He says that God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. God commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. He allows us to neglect also uh, what he would have us do or to fail. So there's some responsibility there. But I just love that he, he admits, you know, God giving us, uh, welcoming us into his plans and delegating 
um, some ability to do things to us. It's like this picture of a, a parent inviting, you know, maybe you've baked with your kids and you give them the, the spatula or whatever, the whisk to stir things, and you know that they're going to do you know, slowly and blunderingly what you could do perfectly in the twinkle of an eye. But it's, it's this gift that you delegate to your kids, even though they can't do it quite as well as you can. And prayer is part of that gift, that God would invite us to participate with him. And it's just, it's a dignity. It's a way that God honors us, that he has given us this gift of prayer. And so the first um, answer to the question of why pray is that prayer, um, and even asking prayer, is a gift of delegation with which we get to participate with God. Prayer is a gift of delegation with which we get to participate with God. And that God shares with us some dignity of causality, I think, is reason enough to pray and to learn to pray well, to take prayer seriously, that God would give us such an honoring gift of prayer, even just these simple prayers of petition, just coming to him and asking him for things. And so when I think about it that, I go, when I think about prayer like that, I think, who would leave, why would I leave that gift unopened or unused? Um, the second kind of doubt that uh, we find Lewis addressing is that, like I said, maybe depending on what we've heard taught about prayer, sometimes um, we've heard teaching that seems to suggest that all your prayers will be answered or that there's some sort of, uh, your prayers are guaranteed um, success. And there is, Lewis wrestles with this in um, an essay called Petitionary Prayer, A Problem Without an Answer, because <laughs> he brings up the point that scripture actually teaches, especially, um, I think it's Mark eleven twenty four, that whatever you ask for in prayer, in faith, you will receive. And Lewis says, he's not saying, you know, you'll receive something or you'll receive an answer. It seems to be saying whatever you ask for. And so he really wrestles with that, but um, that would be a whole other, um, workshop to, to go through. So we'll leave that for now. But um, the encouraging bit in the middle of that is that while there is, uh, we can't let that go and say that that's not something to be taught and wrestled with. Um, but that scripture also shows us Jesus teaching us to pray by saying, Lord, thy will be done. And submitting our prayers, what we're asking for, to God's possible refusal. And even that then we see Jesus doing this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. And actually, depending on how you look at it, but it seems like Jesus' request is refused in the Garden. And so you wrestle with, okay, both, the scripture seems to be showing us both of these things, well, which is it? Um, and Lewis says this problem doesn't really seem to have an answer, although I think he, he, he finds more of an answer than um, maybe he thinks. But again, we don't have time to even unpack that whole thing because it's just a, it's a, it's a different workshop, and I was not prepared for it. So um, here's what Lewis does say that we'll talk about today, is that um, I think it's important to remember in this case that actually whatever it means that you know Mark 11 says, that whatever you pray for, um, in faith you will receive whatever that means it doesn't mean that prayer is magic 
and I think sometimes we can come to view prayer like that. Um, it would be, it would, it's hopeful. <laughs> I would like to view prayer like that. It would encourage me to pray more if I knew that prayer was just, every, my, every one of my prayers was guaranteed because it's just magic. But Lewis says this is important to remember, that prayer is request. And the essence of request, as distinct from compulsion, is that it may or may not be granted. So your prayer might be, refuse because it's not our prayers are not ways to to compel God to do things Um, because he says if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures and that's us of course um, God will sometimes grant and sometimes refuse them invariable success in prayer would not prove the Christian doctrine at all it would prove something much more like magic a power in certain human beings to control or compel the course of nature. So prayer is not magic. It's not compulsive. Uh, We aren't guaranteed necessarily um, in this magical way that we're able to control God uh, with our prayers. We are open to possible refusal, which is, um, I think, a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. Lewis says in a in his book, The Great Divorce, that in the end there will be two types of people. Those to whom God says, thy will be done, and those who say to God, thy will be done. So there's, there's people who God will say, if you insist on doing what you want, I will let you do what you want. And that is you know, the path to, to sin and death. But then there are those who say, God, despite what I want, thy will be done. And um, so I think the reason why it's good that prayer isn't just this guaranteed compulsion is the realization that actually maybe not everything I want is going to be good for me. Um, that was a bit of an aside. But here's the, here's the Narnia bit. Uh, in the book The Silver Chair, there are the two characters, Eustace, who's already been to Narnia in a previous book, and his friend Jill, who hasn't been to Narnia. And Eustace is telling Jill about Narnia and trying to figure out how to prove to her it's real. And she's like, well, how could we get there? How'd you get there last time? And he's like, he's trying to figure out. He's like, I don't know. I don't, I, we just got there. And, and um, so Eustace is thinking about it. And he says to Jill, well, I can't help but wondering, can we, could we? And then Jill says, um, do you mean do something to make it happen? Eustace nodded. You mean we might, and Jill continues, uh, you mean we might draw a circle on the ground and write things in queer letters in it and stand inside and recite charms and spells? Well, said Eustace after he had thought hard for a bit, I believe that was the sort of thing I was thinking of, though I never did it. But now that it comes to the point, I have an idea that all those circles and things are rather wrought. I don't think he'd like them meaning Aslan. It would look as if we thought we could make him do things, but really we can only ask him. But it can't do any harm just asking. I really like that because it, it, I think in Eustace's little wrestle that he's having out loud, I think I've been there going, How, is this me trying to make God do something? Or Is there a way that I could learn to pray where I could make God do something? Because sometimes I I do my prayers and they're just, it doesn't feel like they're being answered. And I think, well, maybe I'm not praying right. Or maybe I'm not praying the right words. Or maybe I, 
still have yet to learn something about prayer. And if only I could learn that thing about prayer, that trick, <laughs> maybe God would answer my prayer. Maybe he's waiting for me to learn this thing, this trick about prayer. Or if I read another book about prayer, then I'd know how to pray in such a way to move God to do the thing that I want him to do. But Eustace's conclusion is, well, we can't make God do things. Really, we can only ask him. But the good news is that with prayer, it can't do any harm just asking. And so that's another, um, another really thing that I like, uh, um, that encourages me to pray, is remembering that actually prayer, you can't do harm by praying. There, there's no harm in it. So why wouldn't you do it? And when it comes back to the thing where Lewis is talking about, God's given us the dignity of causality where, where we can act and we can affect the world around us through our actions, you can actually do a lot of harm with that gift. But with prayer, you can't do any harm. Prayer is safe. But does that mean that prayer isn't that powerful? Does that mean that prayer is weak? And that's where the, the kind of the question comes in. But Lewis would tell us that actually that doesn't mean that prayer is weak. It means that prayer is actually more powerful than our actions, than, than our ability to act. Um, because if prayer is a request to God, it means that prayer is so powerful that God must hold discretionary power over it. He must... Um, there's some things that require God's permission in that case to do. Um, and so the question is, well, why, you know, why does he put discretionary power on something? And Lewis writes, had he not done so, prayer would be an activity too dangerous for man. Because could you imagine if there was no discretion, if God did not hold discretionary power over our prayers, he just said, whatever you pray, in all circumstances and situations, it'll happen because then I think we'd find ourselves not only blessing and participating in God's will, but also cursing and working against his will, which we do with our actions, but our actions are actually pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Thank the Lord. But our prayers, we must submit to God. Um, and so Lewis uses this really nice analogy, which I thought was helpful. He says, God is like the headmaster of a school who says that there are some things you can do here at this school, and there's some things you can't do. But while some things, and, and then there's a whole third category of things, which it might be permissible for you to do those things. I might let you do those things um, in some situations, but also not all the time. Um, because the power and wisdom that are required to decide when those things may be done, and in what situations, and what situations they can't be done, the, the power and wisdom required for that is going to be left up to the headmaster of the school. And so, you know, he says, you might be allowed to do these things, um, but you have to come ask me first. And so again, like I'm saying, I, I like that because it makes me feel safe in prayer. It makes me feel like no prayer is stupid. <laughs> God is okay with us asking him anything in prayer because he will hold discretionary power over it. But... Because of that, again, prayer is not weaker than, that doesn't make prayer weaker. It actually makes prayer so strong. 
because uh, Lewis writes, when it works, it works unlimited by time and space. And again, we see that in the picture of the Chronicles of Narnia with the horn that Queen Susan gets, because when you blow the horn, it works unlimited by time and space. It pulls people from out of a different <laughs> world into Narnia. And, and so that prayer is not magic. Doesn't, the horn doesn't necessarily work automatically or give you exactly the thing you think you need in that situation, but it does work. And when it works, it works supernaturally. So for me, that's been a helpful thing because I'm the sort of person going, I don't know about this prayer thing. I know it's not magic. I know I don't just get the thing I automatically pray for. But to remember that though it's not magic, prayer is supernatural. And it is powerful. Because it doesn't work all the time, doesn't mean it's weaker. It actually means it's a stronger gift. Because it requires God to oversee it and sometimes say no and sometimes say yes because of how powerful it is. Oh. I think I just riffed on the, the second answer there, that though prayer is not magic, prayer is a powerful and supernatural gift. Um, though supernaturally powerful, prayer is always safe. Asking doesn't do any harm. But since prayer is a request, God always maintains uh, discretionary power to refuse the request. And so prayer, uh, it doesn't work every time the way you think it might which might cause you to stop praying. Just go, why would I bother praying if it doesn't work every time? But the encouragement here is that prayer can produce miracles anytime, and you don't know which time that's going to be. So the last two things are, I think, maybe a little quicker. We go back to uh, the rest of the silver chair story, where Eustace and Jill, uh, they do ask Aslan, and then they're interrupted in their asking. They don't even get through their request, and something happens and they run away and they find themselves trying to escape and they open this door to escape into and there's Narnia. They didn't even get their request out and they're all of a sudden they're in Narnia. And a little while later, Jill runs into Aslan while she's by herself and while they're talking, Aslan says to her that there is a task for which I called you here out of your own world. And this puzzled Jill very much. She thinks, um, it's mistaking me for someone else. And then Jill says to Aslan, I was wondering, could there be some mistake? Because nobody called me, nobody called me and Eustace, you know. It was we who asked to come here. Eustace said that we were to call to somebody. It was a name I wouldn't know. And perhaps that somebody would let us in. And so we did, and then we found the door open. And then Aslan says to her, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you, which is just a line I love because it reminds me of uh, if, if I have a prodding to pray, if I have a desire to pray, it's, that desire does not start with me. If I am thinking that I should or want to call on God, it's because God is first calling me to call to him. The, the idea that maybe I should pray right now is always initiated by the Holy Spirit working in you. And so if you find yourself thinking maybe I should pray, 
even if all these doubts and confusions come up, what use is it? God might say no. Remember that that prodding is the Holy Spirit working in you. That um, you call on him because he's first calling on you. You would not have called to me, says Aslan, unless I had been calling to you. Um, so the last one. Hey, we might actually get there. Simply, this is, this is the ultimate one, which is that um, prayer, is, prayer is personal contact with God, that prayer is relational. It's probably maybe the most obvious one, but there's this really wonderful quote. I'll try and, um, well, actually, I'll just, for the sake of time, let you read it. But Lewis says, we have to remember the bigger picture of prayer. The big point of prayer is actually that we would be in touch with God that we would relate with God, that we would have personal contact to God. That's the, that's the biggest reason why prayer is a gift, is the gift of relationship with God. Uh, and so the point of prayer is actually just the presence, vision, and enjoyment of God, that God would show himself to us, even in our simple prayers of asking God for things. That still happens. That's still about relationship with God. Which is why when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray, the first thing Jesus says is, when you pray, say, Father. And then gives them a list of things that they could ask God for. When you pray, say, Father. It's about the whole thing should be encased in the idea that it's relationship that matters most. And so when this is the case... um, Yeah, let me read this quote. Um, Lewis says, The whole importance of petitionary prayer does not lay in the achievement of the thing asked for. Rather, for our whole spiritual life, or spiritual life as a whole, the being taken into account or considered matters more than the being granted. Religious people don't talk about the results of prayer. They talk of its being answered or heard. And when that's the case, when our whole prayer life is about relationship with God, then Lewis says, you know, what matters most is not us getting the thing we're asking for, but about the fact that God, our Father, would hear us and actually take into account the requests we're making. Even if he has to refuse them, it builds our prayer is the the very substance of a relationship with God. And then, he says, we can bear to be refused, even though we couldn't bear to be ignored, which is um, something that has been very uh, helpful, again, to me, to remember. After, there's a lot of times, probably, as I think we all experience, after a lot of time experiencing prayer, and then getting some of them refused, often repeatedly, there's a lot of disappointment. And to remember that actually my prayer, that God is always inviting me to ask him for the thing, even if he knows he's going to have to refuse it, because he wants to hear from me. And he wants to hear my heart. And he wants to hear my desires, the things that I do want. Even if he can't, re- <laughs> even if he can't give them, he wants to hear about it from me. And he knows that in my doing so, in my praying, those things and asking him, that I will leave knowing I'm not being ignored by God. I'm not being stonewalled by God. 
It might be being refused, but that's different. A father who says, I love you, but I can't do that for you, is different than a father who's absent or not listening at all. And so relationship is really what it's about. And so here's the last uh, Narnia reference. It's from The Magician's Nephew. And there's the three characters, uh, Diggory, Polly, and then their horse named Fledge, who's a talking horse. Um, and they're out on this task that I think Aslan sent them out to do, but they've ended up, it's taken way longer than they thought, and they have no food. And Diggory complains. He says, well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals. And Fledge, the horse, says, who's, by the way, is eating the grass, so he's fine. He says, well, I'm sure Aslan would have if you asked him. And then Polly says the thing that we're all, we've all wondered, I think, at one point, wouldn't he know without being asked? Why should I have to ask him? Wouldn't he just know and provide for me if he's really a good father? Which starts to sound a little bit like uh, Satan in the wilderness with Jesus. Shouldn't he just know without being asked? And the horse, Fledge, says, I've no doubt he would, but I've a sort of idea he likes to be asked. And I don't know if I said one of those other ones might be my favorite, but this might be my favorite too, that <laughs> the encouragement just to pray because God just likes to be asked. It's about relationship. He just wants to be asked. He could provide for you, and he might even provide the thing for you even if you don't ask him because he's good. But I have the sort of idea he likes to be asked because the asking honors God. And so prayer in that way, prayer is also worship. Um, so maybe God could do the thing without being asked, but he likes to be asked. And, and to remember that prayer isn't magic, but it is powerful because it's supernatural. Um, and just that it's a, these are the reasons why it's a gift that God is giving to us. Because even in the gift, even in the giving of prayer as a gift, there's an invitation, right? That he's calling to you to call to him. He's giving you this gift, the ability to call to him. Even in these simple prayers um, where we're just asking him to do things, bringing to him our needs. So my question, um, well, to myself, but also to you is, will you leave that gift unopened or unused? Or despite your disappointments and doubts, will you call to him because he's inviting you to do so, because he's allowing you to do so? And, 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 and will, you view gift, or will you view prayer as a gift, this amazing gift that we get to affect things in our world and in our lives and in God's plan for history and in God's mission? We get to go on mission with God through prayer and participate in God's plan for the sake of relationship with God, because he likes to be asked. So, will you allow your hope to be raised in order to come to God with your heart, with your desires? And when you put this horn to your lips and blow it, then wherever you are, I think help of some kind will come to you. And so that's how Lewis, through Narnia and all these things, has been encouraging me just to pray Simple prayers, even though prayer feels irksome. But, yeah. So, um, I think that's it. I think we should. I think that's a great idea.
Um, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer together? I'll lead us. And, and yeah, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to my teach. I'd be interested to know where you see the gift of prayer in Narnia. If you want to find us on our Facebook or Instagram or email us at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to lend your support, we're at patreon.com slash lesserknownlewis. Sean and I will be back with you in a couple weeks with some fresh episodes for season three on metaphor and myth. But until then... As you meditate on this lesser-known Lewis work this week, we pray that it would be Jesus who would become more well-known.